Welcome to On the Job with Porak, your go-to place for public safety and officer rights, giving you the news you need to know and discussing the issues that matter. Hi, and welcome to On the Job with Porak. I'm Brian Marvel, president of Porak. With me today is Porak Vice President Damon Kurtz. We have two special guests with us, Ron Lawrence. He's the president of the Cal Chiefs, and he's also the chief of police for Citrus Heights. And Rick Lebeski, who is the president of the California Association of Highway Patrolmen. Thanks for being here, gentlemen. This is going to be a special podcast uh, regarding uh, SB 230 that uh, we just went through the Senate Public Safety uh, Committee hearing on April 23rd. Had the uh, fortunate opportunity to speak at that with uh, the chief and uh, Kathleen Mastagny from Mastagny Holstead Law Firm. And obviously there were some uh, amendments that uh, we had to take at that meeting. And I think there's a lot of uh, questions. What exactly happened? What did the amendments mean to our bill? Uh, because we've been so uh, proactive in making sure that our bill succeeds because, to be quite honest, we brought all the experts together uh, within our own profession. Uh, we reached out to uh, mental health people. Uh, we reached out to use of force experts. We reached out to uh, people that deal with the homeless and trying to craft a bill that addresses all those issues that have been dumped in our lap over the last 10 years. Um, as a chief, you probably see it on a much regular basis on the demands for resources are far greater than the resources that you have. Um, so with this bill and the fact that um, it, it makes the state provide the finances and resources for chiefs and sheriffs and commissioners throughout the state to, to, to be able to make those decisions. As a chief, how do you look at things when it comes to delegating those types of resources and how our bill uh, that Senator Ana Caballero has been very great in taking the lead and, and running this through the legislature in Sacramento? Yeah, well, Brian, you said it really well. The the complexity of the role of a police officer over the last thirty years has just grown exponentially. The the incredible responsibility we put on our police officers, the dangers that we put them in is just remarkable. And I think that uh, what's happened is we've taken on so much as a, 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 as a profession in society, so many issues that really uh, we owe it to our police officers to give them the right training, the right tools, and make sure that we don't handcuff them uh, in doing the, a very dangerous job. Uh, so as a, from a police chief's perspective, uh, for me, our bill really does codify what our, we need our police officers to to do and to make sure that they have the right training equipment that they need. It's just uh, um, we cannot put them in a weird spot where they're uh, going to put their lives at, at risk and on the, on the flip side also perhaps go to prison for things that they uh, would have uh, – should have done anyway. I mean a re using a reasonable amount of force. So at the hearing we actually had to take two – big amendments. Uh, one was the removal of PC-196, which is the use of force or the uh, um, basically Graham v. Connor, Tennessee versus Garner section. And then uh, we had to tether our bill to AB 392. My thoughts are, and I'm going to I'm gonna have Rick and, and the chief jump in and, and, and Damon, but, you know, the removal of PC-196, um, you know, obviously our goal was, and you said it well, chief, was to, to codify the Graham v. Connor standard, and, and we had to take that out. But the reality is, is nothing's really changed now moving forward, and our bill really has become a, a, a training bill where the onus now is on the people at the Capitol to make good on their promise 
in providing the, the finances uh, and the resources necessary uh, to get the training to the officers out in the streets. And then the tethering of the bill, I see that as a, as a positive uh, sense for us that we did such great work on our bill that without tethering it, I think ours probably would go through the Capitol fairly quickly. And uh, they want to make sure that there is some use of force language changes. So, Rick, what are your thoughts on that with those pretty dramatic changes there? Well, you know, what I would say is uh, the importance of SB 230 and, and our open letter to California. is the, A very important point in this is law enforcement so desperately wants to get this correct. Law enforcement wants the training, wants to provide the best safety and service to the citizens of California. At the same time, it has to be a shared responsibility as well. The education has to go both ways to the public. Um, I can say no officer leaves the house, not a single officer leaves the house wanting to get into a use of force issue at all. But I can tell you every single officer leaves the house wanting to come home at the end of the day. So when law enforcement is confronting uh, the citizens of California, it's it's a shared responsibility. They have to get it right as well, comply with law enforcement. At the same time, we'll do the training necessary to avoid use of force at all costs. Yeah, and and I agree with you on that. And, I mean, I think SB 230 creates a standard, a national standard. I I think California will be the leader in the nation uh, when our bill makes it and the governor signs it. Um, And I think these are important things that we're letting the citizens of California know that we're playing a proactive role and making sure that uh, our officers get the tools they need uh, to be able to effectively uh, police our communities and and be servants. Yeah, I think what what we did with 230 is very important. Um, I think it shows us also um, over the last few years, we, there have been a number of different bills and, and often we've just been in a straight oppose uh, position. And I think we recognize we, we can no longer do that. Um, and this shows that we're willing to work with not only the legislature, but also the, the citizens in California and what they want, what they want to see from their law enforcement. Um, tethering the two bills really forces the issue for, for both sides to come to the table and come to a, something reasonable that we can all live with um, and that the officers are aren't putting, putting themselves in harm's way, um, both legally and uh, physically, um, but also the public has something that I think they, they um, can get behind. And, and, and that way we're not back here doing this again next year um, because it's a very uh, emotional issue, um, both in the public but also in the legislature. And uh, if, we can put, um, if we can put this to rest and actually work forward on what we're doing, I think that would be great. And uh, Rick, you, you talked a little bit about an open letter if you're not aware, Cal Chiefs, CAHP, and PORAC, uh, Rick, Chief Lawrence, and myself, we signed on to an op-ed letter that went out uh, throughout the state to uh, to talk a little bit about the concerns and the issues and, and what we're trying to do from our perspective uh, via SB 230. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that, Rick? Sure. And, you know, and I touched on it a little bit uh, in my previous comments, but again, I think the biggest point is, uh, and the, the meaning behind that letter is to show that we are working together, that there there are a lot of forces driving against us as well. Um, Misinformation by the media is a a big part and a big misunderstanding of uh, the lack of facts that get out uh, to the media prior to uh, or media make uh, the public making a conclusion as to what happened in a new, in a use of force prior to the facts being delivered. Uh, it takes months of video evidence of um, 
audio uh, facts that need to get out prior to misinformation getting out to the public. Uh, again, I think the, the bottom line is we are working together as a whole, uh, many organizations as uh, together to make this happen, to make it right. Yeah, and just to add to that, I mean, this is a, a very broad coalition. I mean, obviously, uh, the three of us are working together very intimately uh, to get through this, um, but there are other coalitions out there uh, working actively to to work on SB 230, be in opposition to uh, AB 392. And what I really liked about the letter was the fact that, uh, you know, I, th I think there's this belief out there or it's being pushed by the other side that we really haven't been at the table. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. We have been at the table since last legislative session when AB 931 didn't make it out. We have sat down. We have negotiated. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't find that happy medium ground uh, to be able to present just one bill uh, due to time constraints uh, because the state of California and the way the bills have to work its way through the legislature. But the fact of the matter is our doors have always been open. I know the chief's door's open. I know Rick's door's open. My doors open. All the other uh, coalition members who are involved, their doors are open. We want to have this discussion. And I think the important thing, the big takeaway from the amendments is, and like uh, Damon said, it brings everybody back to the table. Yeah, I, I have to agree with the uh, with the open letter. You think about the, uh, the unprecedented time we're in with this letter. If you think about our coalition, you've got the police chiefs, you've got PORAC, uh, we've got the sheriffs, we've got this, this Highway Patrol Association. Uh, we've all come together now realizing what a, what a huge uh, issue this is and making sure that we get this right. And I think that that demonstrates a few things. Uh, this open letter to California demonstrates that we are at the table and we're willing to look at our profession and make ourselves get to a place where we can be the best that we we can be and, and make sure that our communities are the safest that they can be and keep our police officers safe. Uh, I think this is huge. And, our, and the nation's watching California. The, the nation is watching what we're doing with this issue. We recognize that. And as you said, we've been at the table since last year with this, wanting to talk uh, about these issues and talk about um, with uh, Dr. Weber about these bills. And uh, we've been very open and transparent about what what's going on. So I think that this, there's power in realizing all of law enforcement's here. We're talking about these things and we want to get it right. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we really don't talk too much about is or, or some of the facts. I mean, California has almost 40 million people uh, that live in the state. I think the best estimates are is there's 8 to 10 million contacts between civilians or and, and peace officers. And, you know, one of the things that uh, we consistently hear at the Capitol is is the, the 2017 statistics. And, you know, th that's a, a snapshot in time, but the 2018 statistics are a much dramatic change, a, a reduction, a 30% reduction in deadly force encounters with peace officers uh, throughout the state of California. California. And I think that's a testament to the professionalism of our officers out there. Our goal obviously is to have no officer involved shootings, but the reality is we're all humans. And I would love to see that. And, and I think Rick said it best, no officer shows up to work wanting to get involved in a, in a shooting. Um, but the reality is it is a shared responsibility between an officer and a community person when we come in contact with them. And how do we mitigate you know, we can do our part, but other people have to do their part too. Yeah, I think it's going to be um, difficult going forward because we want to have an honest dialogue. And if we're going to be honest, we have to use 
you know, real numbers um, and not try to sensationalize, not try to bring the emotion into the conversation, but really have honest dialogue when, you know, the ACLU is putting out numbers that were 37% above the national average, when in actuality, uh, according to Protect California, we're 5% below the national average in, in uh, use of force, uh, deadly use of force situations. Um, I think it's important to recognize that there, this is a shared responsibility, not just from law enforcement perspective, not just the legislature, but also it's the public has a, you know, a role in this. And so does the media to, to put out honest, factual information and not try to, you know, sell commercial spots, if you will, and play upon um, a person's emo- emotions um, because it doesn't do anybody any good and, and oftentimes causes additional um, strife within the community that's not needed. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we've always stressed is is we don't want to be judged 2020. And I get the jump by the news media to want to be first with everything and not knowing the facts and just being able to put it out there to say that they put it out there. But, you know, when you have a deadly encounter, it's it takes years to ultimately get through it, to figure out uh, what happened, uh, why did it happen. And the good thing about us and our profession is, is we actually take that stuff and we try to bring it back in to improve our training, our overall training. So we have a lot more work to do. Um, We've been definitely uh, continuing the dialogue with uh, Dr. Weber's office and the ACLU uh, regarding AB 392. I think our bill is definitely going to appropriations, or it is appropriations, and they're going to start putting a money price tag to it. Um, It's not going to be cheap because over the last uh, 10, 15 years, everybody's been calling for more training. And and just this year alone, uh, Damon and I sat through 75 pages of public safety bills. And there must have been three or four that were exactly the same, except one one wanted eight hours of training, another one wanted four hours, one another two, one was mandatory, one was optional, but it's all the same training. So there's a real big push by the electeds to, to add more training and there's only so many hours in the day, all our cops would be working, they'd be in the academy the entire time or at, uh, at advanced training and nobody would actually be working with the amount of training. So this is going to be a great start. There's going to be a cost to it. And it's, a, and it's good that the, the state's willing to pony up the money that we're going to need to make sure that our officers get the training to do what we need to do out in the field. Yeah, and it's also important to note that uh, you know, most of these use of force issues often, often occur with the officer has less than a second or two to make that decision. Yeah, it's, it's going to take a huge investment, I think, both from the legislature and communities that we all work in to, to allow for this training to occur. When you think about, you know, a post-recession California and most law enforcement attributed to uh, dangerously low levels with the amount of officers they had and the re- repercussions of that were there weren't enough officers to field the streets um, and you, you have to keep people out there, but we also want them to go get training, right? So they're they're limiting their our opportunities to train, but they're expecting perfection, uh, what we're doing. And so we've got to be able to allow our officers the time to go and do real physical training, scenario-based training, not watching a video. It's and not just reading something, you know, in their roll call briefings. It's got to be real training. Otherwise, we can't expect the outcomes to 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 be a positive one because you can't affect change in that way. Absolutely. And I'm sure we see it in the CHP understaffing. I'm not sure if you're understaffed at your agency. I know San Diego, we're understaffed. I know Fresno's understaffed. So um, it's a big issue. Uh, This is a national issue and I'm proud to be working with everybody here at the table. 
and I'm proud that California has taken the lead on this because this, this is what our state does. Uh, we take the lead. We're very forward thinking. And I think other states will be able to look at the model that we've created for public safety and, and sort of take that back to their states and, and move this forward because we don't want to have to criminalize officers for making split-second decisions. Let's take a reasonable and rational approach like we've done with SB 230, and let's get this through, and uh, let's start moving forward. Let's start thinking uh, in a much more positive, uh, shared responsibility, uh, you know, forward thinking. Yeah, Brian, you mentioned some numbers, and I think it's important to to really underscore that a little bit. And that is that according to the Washington Post, in California, we had 115 um, uh, incidents last year of deadly force. And I think that what's really important to to highlight here is it, any one incident's unfortunate. That's the last thing that the police want. That's that's what we try to avoid, and we train hard to avoid those. One is too many. We try to avoid it, but that's just not real. It's not ever going to be real as long as you have a society with uh, that is a, a society of rules of law, and you have peace officers who are responsible for enforcing those laws. Uh, that's we're the front line. The police profession is the front line to enforce the rule of law. And as long as you have that and we have a violent uh, uh, element of our society, we're going to have use of force if we're going to enforce the laws. Absolutely. And I just recently saw a statistic that showed that the uh, applications for wanting to be a peace officer nationally are down like 67%. I mean, it's just some astronomical number. There's even studies out there where family members are now telling their other family members, do not do this job. It's not worth it anymore. And we want to change that um, because it is a very noble profession. It gets you to be able to help people. Um, you, you can change somebody's life every single day in a very positive manner. And that's what makes our job so great. Well, I'm going to have to close it up there. Uh, it's been a great uh, speaking with both of you, and I'm sure uh, you guys will be back. This is definitely an issue that's not going away, and uh, we've got a lot more work to do. And we're definitely going to—I'm getting a little away from Damon. I just want to— um make a comment at the end and although we're you know very positive where SB 230 is and where and 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 what we've done with that work that the work's not over and we still need people's support um, AB 392 still needs work and we're hopeful that through negotiations we're going to get to a point where we can all uh, you know have at least agree on where we're at um, but right now we're not there yet 230 is where we want it to be but AB 392 is not and I know we're in negotiations and we're hopeful that that's going to get there um, but we still need uh, the public support to help us get to that point yeah thanks for uh, thanks for bringing that out Damon that's uh, that's extremely important so I want to thank our guests for being here thank you for listening to the show I hope you enjoyed today's podcast we'd love to hear from you please join us on our social media platforms go to porac.org porac.org for more info. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Google, please give us five stars. It helps us get noticed. Don't forget to share our podcast with your members, your family, and friends. All the best and have a safe day. That's it for this episode. Make sure you tune in next time as we discuss the issues that matter. 